0: many of you have had a uh, youth soccer experience. Uh, I played soccer when they uh, used to call them forwards, halfbacks, and fullbacks, and goalies. Now they have a whole new name for them. They're strikers and midfielders and defenders and keepers and all that. But when I played, I, I started in the fifth grade and I played with a guy and his name was David. And David was a very energetic kid. He was very small, and he was like a a water bug, you know, just all over the place. And when we played soccer, he would run all over and be in everyone's position but his own. He was left halfback. I guess that would be midfield now. And he would be on my side of the field where I was the right halfback, just everywhere. And I remember the coach yelling all the time, play your position. Just play your position to David. This morning, as we talk about our community and understanding our position and our place in the community, uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, helps us to understand our position. I'm <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, are we good? I can go without this. Okay, sorry about that. The feedback just, it's, it happens, I guess, so I, I apologize if I'm too loud. Uh, But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, the Apostle Paul teaches us about our position and helps us to understand what we have. And because of what we have, we can understand our position. So if you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, uh, we will understand four things to know that help you understand your position. Four things to know that helps you understand your position. Now, as we get into verse 15, we have the privilege of looking into the prayer life of the Apostle Paul. So kind of before we get into what Paul is trying to help us to know, we can see his prayer life. Notice what it says in verse 15. The Apostle Paul says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Notice his prayer life here just quickly. He says, I've heard about you, which is not really strange because remember last week when Jeff was talking about Ephesus, we're talking about a very uh, sophisticated society with uh, postal service, with uh, roads and with uh, ships that went all over. And so it was not uncommon for Paul to hear things. And he heard about these people of Ephesus, and when he hears about them, he doesn't stop praying for them. Notice what he says. He says, I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your belief in who Jesus is, and and your love for all the saints. What a great series of compliments to think about somebody, to say, listen, I know about your faith. I know you love all saints. Your love is not exclusive. It's inclusive. Uh, just uh, And Paul, remember, he's the guy that exhorted us to pray without ceasing. Notice what he says about himself. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Paul prayed constantly for these people. And notice the positiveness of his prayer. I thank God for you because of your faith and your love. So that's just a glimpse into the apostles' prayer. But then he gets into uh, verse 17. And when we get into 17, that's where he starts to talk about four things to know that help you. Understand your position. And now please understand that as we go through this, we're not talking about things that need to be added on to you, okay? Remember, the, the image of a Christian is this. The Spirit of God and the Word of God come together and produce or give birth to you, your eternal life. And so when you are born again, you are born with everything you need. You know, when, when you have a baby, you do not go two weeks later and get the legs, you know, you don't go a month later and get an arm. The baby is born complete. And that's what happens when we are born again in Christ. We are complete in Him. And so what we just need to do is understand things that we have in Christ that will help us play our position. So anyway, so let's do that. In first, uh, verse 17, the Apostle Paul tells us the first thing that he's praying for is that we would know the person of God's Son that we would know the person of God's Son. In verse 17, he says this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. So that you may know Him better, so that you will know Christ. Prayer that you will know the person of God's Son, Jesus Christ. I, I love the way Paul starts this. He says, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. See how he talks about the person to whom he's praying? He says this, you know, kind of a celebration of who God is and how great He is. And this is the person to whom we're speaking. You know, we're not talking about someone who, who, who might be able to manage this and might be able to give you some understanding and give you some help. But instead, we are talking about the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. Oh, what a preamble to the prayer that Paul is about to say. And it ties him to Christ. God to Christ, and we're in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. And so as a result, we have this power. He says a beautiful thing here about God. So that's to whom he's praying. And then he says, I want them to know the person of God's Son. He says, um, Paul writes, May uh, this person, this God, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The spiritual power of wisdom and revelation, of understanding. Now, some of you in your Bible, when you look down at the word Spirit, it might be a capital S. I'm not sure if that's a good way to have it, because that would infer that we are asking for the Holy Spirit to, to come and help us out. Well, the, the Holy Spirit, once you are born again, the Holy Spirit is yours automatically. It, the Spirit comes and indwells you. Uh, that's, you know, biblical teaching. So I think what it should be is like attitude. Remember in the, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talked about blessed are the poor in spirit? He was talking about attitude. So I think that's what he's asking here. He's asking that we have the attitude uh, that will allow us to understand. It's an attitude that says, you know what, I think that we can do this and understand that. God, let them have the spirit or the attitude of one who has a full, rich, keen understanding of the person of your son, Jesus Christ. May these people have that. Now, he's saying and praying that we would know the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not 21st century thinking. 21st century thinking is, I need to know myself. I need to understand who I am and and what I'm about. That's 21st century thinking. That's not biblical thinking. Because you see, in in Scripture, we know ourselves, right? As a result of what God's Word says, we know that we are sinners who have come short of the glory of God. From a biblical standpoint, when we look at Scripture, we understand that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know them? So we know ourselves. And so Paul doesn't dwell on that aspect of it. Instead, he says, you need to know Jesus Christ. You need to know Him. Because then when you know Him, you'll understand your position. And when you understand your position, you'll be able to do what it is that God wants you to do. Now the Apostle Paul says, I I want to know Him, to know Him. What do you need to know about Jesus Christ? Well, some of us just need to know that He's our Redeemer. Look in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Paul writes this in verse, verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Some of us this morning need to know that Jesus Christ has redeemed us, that he has given us freedom. He has bought us out of slavery and set us free because some of us are experiencing bondage because of our sin. And so we need to know Jesus Christ as our redeemer. Some of us this morning need to know Jesus Christ as our friend. As our friend. You are feeling companionless. You are feeling without. But in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am your friend because of our relationship. You see, when we know Jesus Christ, it makes a difference in understanding our position. And so, so Paul prays that you would understand the person of Jesus Christ. The second thing that Paul prays for is in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called. Uh, The second prayer that Paul has is that you'll know the plan of God, that you'll know the plan of God. He says the eyes of your understanding uh, or the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Now, when he talks about enlightenment, that's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit, and you can read about it in uh, John chapter 16, uh, it talks about the job of the Holy Spirit is to come and enlighten us, to teach us, to show us. So here Paul is praying that the Spirit of God would enlighten us so that we understand the plan of God, so that our eyes of understanding or our eyes of our heart are opened. Uh, The word for heart is not the, the, the thing that we think about, you know, in terms of just this beating thing. Remember, in their culture, the idea of the heart was the depths, the deepness. Uh, probably the best way to say it is my gut, (laughs) because they would talk about their bowels and the feelings deep within them. And it is something that not is just about our emotions, but it is also about our will so that we can do something and not just feel something. And so Paul is praying that we would know the plan of God and the the purpose that God has. Uh, He is literally asking... uh, saying, God, may their minds know this. And this is what he wants your mind to know in verse 18. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And then he says in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the hope that he has called you. You see, the plan of God is to redeem us. And to save us. So what is the plan? The plan is to call you out of sin unto service. The plan of God is to give you hope. You see, in order for us to do what we need to do, we need to understand our position. And our position is this. We are a person that has been called out of sin to, save, to serve him. You see, the Apostle Paul's practice in most of his letters is this, isn't it? He spends the first couple of chapters of telling us who we are. And then he spends the end chapters of telling us what we need to be doing. And so he says, I want you to understand the plan of God. It is a divine calling that gives us hope, he's telling us. He is telling us that we kind of know the ending here. The ending is that God is victorious. And he says we need that light from the Spirit of God to help us to know of our calling in Jesus Christ. When I was in high school, I went to a very small Christian school. I had 36 students in my graduating class. And so everyone did everything. And uh, I was part of a production of Fiddler on the Roof. And in this production of Fiddler on the Roof, my job was to be the guy that carried Frumasera on his shoulders. Now, if you know the play at all, Frumasera was a, a ghost that comes back to haunt Tevia and his wife to convince them to do something. And so when we first started doing the read-through, I, we're in a classroom, and I would pick this girl up and put her on my shoulders and stand in the, in the room, and they would go through their thing and sing and all this. And I thought, this is just no fun at all. And I didn't really enjoy that because all I did was stand there. Well, then they took us into this theater, big, huge theater, and they gave me this, you know, they hung this huge drape over me. And they said, okay, now you're going to start in the back of the theater and you're going to run to the front. Well, that was great because, you know, I could see kind of through it. Well, then they shut the lights off to build the effect, right? Because then here comes this ghost through there. And so I'm in the back of the theater, and I'm holding up this gown. And They go, okay, you're on. And I drop the gown. They shut off the lights, and I can't see. And I stumble through my performance, well, her performance. It was terrible. So then the director came to me, and uh, Dale Schilling, he's still a friend of mine, and we, we email back and forth. He's 150 years old because, you know, I'm old, so you can imagine how old he is if he was my teacher. Uh, and I tell him that. But anyway, so he hands me a flashlight, and he says, okay, here's the light. And as a result of that, you, you can shine the light. And he said, it'll give it more eerie feel, plus you'll be able to see where it's going. And he says, you need to understand, you're an important part of this play. He said, this is a, a moment where, where Tevia is able to persuade his wife Golda that, that he shouldn't marry who he says he wants to. And all this, you know, I was feeling pretty good about myself. I turned that light on, and I could see, and I move, and I went where I needed to go. You see, when you know you're a part of the plan... When you know you're a part of this and you have the light that you need to do what you need to do, it changes everything, doesn't it? It radically transforms what it is. And so when you understand your position in Christ and when you know that you are part of this marvelous plan that God has set out, things are different. You play your position better. Paul prays that you might know the person of God's Son. Paul prays that you might know the plan of God. And the third thing that he prays for here is to know the possessions of God. Let's pause for just a moment. Let me just help you to remember something. What I'm talking about are things that you need to understand. They are not things you need to try and get. Okay? Make sure you maintain that difference because oftentimes we think, okay, I need to get these things in order for God to love me more. God cannot possibly love you more. He is love his love is not conditioned upon anything except himself and he is love and so when we talk about these things don't think in terms of i got to get this i got to do this i got to in order for me to and god will smile upon me and my lo-. that's not what we're talking about we're talking about you have these things they're yours just pray that we'll understand them you see the apostle paul does an interesting thing doesn't he when he talks about prayer he says i'm praying for understanding Sometimes that radically turns prayer on its head, doesn't it? Because oftentimes our prayers are, bless me, be with. Heal me. Make me better. I'm broken. Fix me. Right? Many times that's my prayer. But Paul says, let's pray differently. Let's pray for understanding. Let's pray for what it is that we have that we understand it. And so Paul, in verse 18, he says, I am praying that you will know the possessions of God. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. If you like to read books about chapters or or books in the Bible, let me recommend two to you. One is Be Rich by Warren Wiersbe. The other one is uh, John MacArthur's uh, commentary on Ephesians. Those are two books. One, uh, Be Rich is a little bit more general. And, of course, Ephesians with John MacArthur is a little bit more Uh, technical and deep, but still good books. MacArthur says this about this passage. He, He says Paul wants us to understand the marvelous magnitude of the blessings of salvation. Don't you love that? The marvelous magnitude of salvation. He says the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Warren Wiersbe in his book Be Rich tells the story about William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst was a wealthy man, publisher, had all kinds of money. He was an art collector and a painting collector and all that. And he was looking through a magazine one day, and he saw a picture of a piece of art. And he called his assistant in, and he said to his assistant, hey, go and find me this piece of art. I want to add it to my collection. So the assistant leaves, and months pass. And fa- finally, after several months, he comes to uh, Mr. Hurst, and the assistant says, good news, I found it. I found the piece of art that you want. And Hurst is all excited, like, where do we go? And he says, it's in your collection. You've owned it all along. (laughs) And sometimes that's what happens to us, isn't it? You see, we forget how rich we are in Christ. We forget about the possessions of God, the inheritance that is ours as his holy people. God has provided so much for us. And oftentimes we begin to grope and, and hope and say, oh, I need this. And You don't. You are very, very wealthy. We need to just realize the possessions of God. Uh, there's no need to look elsewhere. We have it all, and he records it for us in Scripture. You say, well, I need strength. Well, what does Paul say in Philippians? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He say, well, I need grace. What does he say in Second Corinthians? My grace is sufficient for thee. Well, I need peace. (laughs) I'm like, crazy life. What does he promise in Philippians? Peace that surpasses all understanding. It's ours. The possessions, the riches of Christ are ours. You see, the problem is we don't realize it. We don't look in the right place. Instead, we think, you know what? I heard there's a new book out. I heard there's a new speaker that says this. Instead of, you know what, <sighs> let me dust this thing off and open it up and read what God's Word says. It, 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 the sufficiency and the riches of Christ. Paul's praying that you would understand the possessions of God. I've told you this before, but before I became a, a schoolteacher, I was a pastor. In the first church that I ever pastored, uh, 14 people voted for me to be a part of their church. That's all the people there were in the church, except the 15th person was an 11-year-old girl, and they wouldn't let her vote. And I, I remember they gave me a contract that I signed, and it was $12,750. Now, that was in 1985. And the treasurer of that church was a, became a friend of mine because, obviously, the money and all that. And we would have a Sunday night service, and I would get paid every two weeks. And the Sunday night service, you know, it was a great time of fellowship and all this. And then the service would end and people would hang around and it would seem to go on forever. And the treasurer would always linger waiting to give me my paycheck. And then people would leave and the treasurer and uh, her husband would be the last people there along with me and my wife. And the treasurer would make that walk over to me very slowly. And then she would extend the check to me. And she would sigh and say, that's it. This is all the money that we have. So don't plan on buying anything or purchase anything for at least a week because there's nothing else in the checkbook. Hey, thanks for the check. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. This went on for a year every two weeks. Oh, you know. <laughs> that's not the way it is in Christ. Instead, in Christ, he says, you know what? I've got a checkbook that is so full that here it is and take whatever it is that you need because it's all available to you. The possessions, the riches in Christ are yours. There's no limits. You need to know that so you can play your position better. Please notice the fourth thing that Paul prays for. Paul prays that you would know the power of God that you would know the power of God. Let's, let's read through these verses, beginning at verse 19. In verse 19, he says, And his incomparable great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, And every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, uh, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, let me just kind of summarize this for you. What Paul does in verses 19 through 23 is he prays that we would know the power of God, that we would know the power of God. And he stacks these Greek words for power, and he just piles them up so that every word that was available to describe power, the Apostle Paul plugs it into this passage. He uses the word uh, dunamai, which is our word for dynamite. That's a word for power. He uses the word energia, which is our word for energy. He uses the word uh, "iskas," which is a, a word for endowed power. He uses an, another word that talks about dominion. So in verses 19 through 23, every word for power that Paul can think of, he crams it into this four verses in order for us to understand who we're dealing with. We are dealing with the power of God. And in and, and order for us to get it, he piles it all together. And he says, you need to understand that there is inherent power, there is operative power, there is ultimate power, there is endowed power. That's what God has available. And so Paul says, I am praying that you will understand how powerful God is. That's what he's praying for. And see the illustrations that he uses in verses 20 through 23? He talks about what happened. Well, this God is so powerful that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This God is so powerful that he raised Jesus to the position of power and authority and dominion. This God is so great, so powerful. That's the God who we need to understand that we are playing for. And when we understand our position under this power and with this power, it radically changes what we can do. Now, please be careful here. I'm not talking about the power, you know, you think, well, you know, I can believe I'm going to fly off this stage. I've got the power and it's about the spiritual power that God gives to us so that we can accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. It is the spiritual power that is available to us. You never have to wonder, do I have the power? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, My in-laws have a a cottage up in northern Wisconsin and Sometimes we would get there before they would, and we would wonder around, you know, is there going to be any power? Can we get the lights on? You know, we're wondering, is, is the power going to work? That never happens. God has the power available for us to do what it is that we need to do. Uh, there was a, an old preacher, his name is A.W. Tozer, who has written some great classic books, uh, The Pursuit of God, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says this, he says, sometimes we get overwhelmed and forget how big God is. We get overwhelmed because we forget how big God is. We forget that God has this power that we can't hardly describe. We got to pick words, we got to pull and it's just too much. The power that is available to us. You see the power that is ours is the power to evangelize. You see someone who's apart from Christ that needs Christ Remember, it was uh, the Apostle Paul that wrote, "I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation." You say, "Who can reach this person? They're they're so far in their sins. Who can possibly uh, break the chains?" God can, with His gospel, He can break the chains that bind those people. He can set them free, so they can experience the power of salvation. You have the power to endure suffering. The power to endure suffering because of God. We just need to understand it. The Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he used these kinds of words. He says, I'm pressed but not crushed. I'm perplexed but not in despair. I'm persecuted but not abandoned. I'm struck down but I'm not destroyed. Why? Because of the power of God in my life. I understand it. I'm able to endure hardship and suffering because of the power of God. I'm able to serve. I just can't go on anymore. I just can't do one more thing. You can because of the power of God. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, and after that the Spirit of God will come upon you and you will have the power to be my witness, to serve me. You see, the power of God, when we understand the the things that we have, Paul says you need to know these things. You need to know the person of God's Son. You need to know the plan of God. You need to know the possessions of God. You need to know the power of God. Understand that. Don't ask for it. It's yours. Just understand it. That's what Paul's saying. You see, this morning, when we know our position and understand it, it changes everything. Remember David, the little fifth grader that I played soccer with? David went on to high school and played high school soccer. And he learned to play his position so well that somebody came along and said, I will pay you some money to play soccer in college because you understand how to play the game. And so David went from running all over the field like a water bug to understanding his position and being able to play it in a way that afforded him to go to college. See, this morning, the Apostle Paul is just saying, understand your position, and it will radically change your behavior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. We are lost without it. And we ask, Father, that as we are investing our time this week, that we would open your Bible, open your word, and discover the great things that are there that are ours to understand, and that we don't need to plead and beg for, but we just need to understand. And we ask that your Spirit grant us understanding so that we can serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.